So they have a pluralistic view. And so God sends Moses as a mediator to set his people free so that they could live free. And so from the beginning of Exodus, and in fact, from the beginning of the Bible, we see God constantly in pursuit of his people. And and here's why. Because God desires to be the only God in your life. God wants to be singular, but yet culture has a plural view. And so I kind of gave you a little word there that, that our God wants to be a singular God in our life, which we would call monotheism. And then as we look at the plural view of culture, you know, you worship the one true God, but you also worship all this other stuff, right? That's called polytheism. And that's kind of that plural view. And then we talked about a healthy sense of fear of God, because that word fear seems really confusing. And so often how we see God really affects our relationship with God. But often we put him in a box and, and we make him safe, We put God in a box and we make him safe. And there's a difference between the fear of stuff and the fear of God. Because I shared with you uh, that I don't like spiders last week, which I shouldn't have done because then a bunch of you sent me emails and links and ideas of all these spiders. And of course, that guy found that huge spider in the Amazon. It's ungodly. So it just really, yeah. So that's a fear that, that, you know, with all these other fears that we have, it, calls, it causes us to stand far off, to withdraw. But a healthy fear of God is an awe and a reverence. And we, when we experience the fear of God, it draws us in. And so there's a big difference between fear of stuff and fear of God. Because a fear of God is a reverence of God that genuinely causes you and draws you in, causes you to want to worship. But here's where Israel kept getting confused. Because Israel was under the illusion that they could remain at a distance without becoming more distant. They could keep God at a little bit of a distance. They'd still kind of worship him, but with all their other stuff included, they, they wanted to remain at a distance. And the problem with that that even affects us today is that we want to enjoy the benefits of God without being transformed by God. And, and a transformation process, a refining process is, is not easy. I mean, it's kind of like having a broken bone that you, that you set yourself and it sets wrong. What do you have to do with that bone? You have to re-break it. And so there are times where we set things are on our own and then all of a sudden there's that painful process where we have to re-break And that's what Israel was trying to avoid. They wanted to remain at a distance, let things heal the way they wanted them to heal. But the problem was they wanted to enjoy the benefits of God without being transformed by God. And so what we closed with seeing was that while we're at a distance and disconnect from God, we don't get the benefits of God without being made right with God. We don't get the benefits of God without being made right with God. And in fact, you and I can't do that. And so our transformation, that breaking, actually comes through Christ. It's not through us, but through Christ. Because only Christ can be a perfect mediator. See, where we pick up is that that Moses, now as we look at Exodus chapter 32, Israel has put Moses in the place of their mediator. And they said, listen, we don't want to experience the transformation of God. We don't want to experience this hardship. So, So Moses, you go 
and you go speak with God and you receive instruction from God and, and we'll kind of follow him. But then they went back to following other stuff too. And the people grew impatient. And, and I know that, that's a long-winded introduction. Um, last week wasn't recorded and so I would tell you to go back, but I really want you to, as, as this morning, I want you to hear the importance of a singular view of God. God, as it says in Exodus 20, he is a jealous God. So our creator doesn't want us worshiping creation. And so as we look in Exodus 32, and we're going to read the first six verses, we see that Israel is growing tired of their mediator. And they're not really interested in kind of following the mediator anymore. They want something that fits their wants. And so we pick up right here in verse two when it says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, now remember, Aaron's another leader alongside Moses. And they said, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. You almost see that distant language about Moses. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So there we see the plural view. They're, they're going to make, with their gold calf, they're going to make a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And so the thing that gets in their way, they don't have a perfect mediator, but they have the mediator, Moses, that steps in to speak with God and they're distant and so they grow tired and they create an image. So remember when God says in Exodus 20, the first and second commandment in verse three and four, he says, you shall, not, you shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. And you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the sea, uh, under the earth. And so this is what Israel so easily forgot is that they made an idol. They put something in place of God. They put this cow, quite literally, this golden image that stood in front of the true creator because it fit their wants. It fit their wants. But today, if, someone is, if someone's more wanting something and they're not satisfied with the one true God, an idol's gonna look different, right? Like you're not gonna see a group of people hanging out at home and going, you know, like God's really not answering that prayer. Uh, let's just, you know, melt down some gold and, and make a cow. You know, like that's not something you're gonna see in someone's group, you know? But, but let's look at what an idol is. Because the definition of an idol is an image or representation of a god used as an object of worship, a person or thing that is greatly admired and love, loved. 
And so an idol is really anything that replaces the one true God. But it looks different, right? It looks different. So I want to give you some examples of what can easily become idolatry. But what, what I want you to understand, because I'm going to show you some images. Here's what I want you to understand. By God's grace through Jesus, we get to enjoy this life. If I go home after this and I grill up a steak, right? And I enjoy some steak with my wife. That is awesome. I can give glory to God and going, God, thank you for that meal. Thank you for providing for me. And so I can take a good thing and I can make it about God. Or I can take a good thing and make it a God thing. Do you see the difference there? And here's what I mean. If I take that, that meal and I consume it and I say, God, thank you for that, I'm giving God glory for him providing. But if then every time it's about how I'm preparing the meal and it's about, it's about the meat and it's about how I'm doing it and what I'm getting out of it and it's about me and how good I grilled that, then I'm making that my idol. I'm putting that in place. I'm, and there's many other examples. And so there are many good things that we get to experience But when we take a good thing and we center it around everything that we do, everything that we are, like there's nothing else you look forward to during the week but grilling up that steak that weekend, that's where we place it at a higher category rather than, man, I'm I'm excited about that meal. That's awesome. But where we put it at a higher level is the issue. And so I want to show you some images of where I think sometimes we can get into idolatry, how we, can, how we can get into idolatry in today's culture and how we can take a good thing and make it a bad thing. So one of the first ones, I haven't gotten in trouble this week, so I kind of figure, you know, why not start with getting really in trouble? So... So, you know, like I said, in today's culture, if you were to walk into a home group, you're not going to see a group of people that are going to form up a golden calf and make up this image. But this sounds a lot like worship. A group of people gathered around a specific reason at a specific time. They're, They're all wearing the same robes. They're lifting their hands. Their faces are painted Um, there's a screen in the back of who we're bringing our adoration and our time to. This is not a bad thing in of itself for us to gather together. I mean, a couple weeks ago we had uh, a football, I'm so not a football person, but I know it was a Sunday. Um, And and my wife Shauna and I went over to uh, our family's house and got to eat with them and, and watch the game with them. But when that game consumes our entire life, and is put at a higher level above everything else. Like, guys, do you love your wives as much as you love the Seahawks? Like, if I asked you stats about the Seahawks, and then I asked you things about knowing your wife, which one do you know more? So I think there's a great level of enjoyment around this. I know, we'll move on. I'm I'm hitting too much home here. Um, I'll pick on myself. Okay. So now we've created icons. So now we have a real image in of itself. And of course, I get in a lot of trouble for being a, a fan of Apple products for the reason that the first sin in Genesis comes from a bitten apple. So after service, if you come up to me and you 
show me a biblical reason why this technology is wrong. Don't worry, I've been down this road, down this argument, I get it. And here's the thing, we can use these things for the glory of God. I mean, like, we have a computer in the back that allows us to present, to, to have scriptures up on the screen, right? We can redeem these things. We can redeem the guitar, where, where on another day it's used in a bar for a different song for the glorification of the person. But on this morning, we use this instrument to glorify God. And so these things can be redeemed, but if we take them too far, then they become an idol. Another one uh, would be Pinterest. And, and I think the, the area where we really get into with dangerous is how much time are these things taking? These can really suck up a lot of time. And so really for us to ask ourselves, is this put above time with God? Am I spending a ton of hours on Pinterest uh, above my time with God? Um, another one that I finally had to delete the app of was, is Facebook. Facebook can be something. And, and, and then we get into the idea of, of sharing our wants, and, and it becomes this, this fake community. And I think the hard thing is someone can blurt out their absolute struggles, and, and someone goes, hey, thinking about you, but there's real no biblical community around that. And so we go there for Farmville to update our status, to check on things, to post. But, but often our life of Facebook looks different of our real life. And there's a contrast between the two. So another one that can become an idol is family. And, and striving towards the perfect family. The, the, the ways in which we say, I, my family is the family that never argues which sucks for you. Um, but, because I love the arguments in my family, but, but here's the thing, when we, when we strive to be, to desire to be a perfect family, rather than put the perfect God at the center of all of those relationships, we get into an issue of idolatry. Another one we get into is political figures. Political figures. We put, we put these people at a hierarchy in our lives, believing that they're going to satisfy all of our needs. And they build campaigns to convince you that that will all happen, that, that change is something we can believe in, right? And so we put our hope, we put our, our thoughts and our time and, 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 and arguments into political investment. And then another one that we spend a lot in is musicians. We look up to these people. We, we admire these people and some of us who are also musicians we go that person is my what my idol and then from there we create a tv show where then we tell people you can become that idol where everyone's going to look up to you so then we get into this messy piece of idolatry and the whole issue is that we're reflecting the wrong thing we're reflecting the wrong thing. In Exodus 32, that first verse that we read was where Israel says, make us gods who shall go before us. They wanted a God that would look like them, that would reflect what they wanted and reflect their own creation. But the issue is, that's not what God's called us to. 
because we, we're not supposed to worship another image because we are the image of God. We're the image of God. And the Israelites were worshiping all these images. They were putting things in place when they were really to be the image of God who worshiped God. They were to be the image of God who worshiped God. And Moses wrote this in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, so beautifully says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female he created them. And so the second commandment says, don't worship an image. And here God says, you're my image. So that can sometimes seem contradicting. And so I want to clarify this for you. Just give you an example. This morning when you got up and you were getting ready for the day, you looked in a what? A mirror. A mirror. For some of you, that was a good experience. For some of you, it wasn't a good experience. But, but you looked in a mirror this morning, Right? So what does a mirror do? It reflects you. And so God made us to be his mirrors, to bear his image and to reflect him, to reflect him. So worship for us is is not the time of music, but worship is reflecting the goodness and the glory of God. I know that's a big concept, but worship is reflecting the goodness and the glory of God. So when we love others, when we forgive, when we seek justice and truth, when we're generous and giving, we are reflecting the goodness of the glory of God. So so in all those things, we need to understand that worship isn't music. Now, music is a method that we get to use. This morning, we get to gather together, use these instruments, these uh, electronic pieces to, you know, we redeem these things that we can give glory to God in this time. But music is only a method because worship is in your whole life. I mean, Romans 12 clarifies that beautifully. Worship is your entire life because it's giving God glory in all things. So what God is saying in that context to Israel is don't get an image to worship. Be the image that worships. Don't get for yourselves an image to worship. Be the image that worships. And so really the resolve for you and I to to tip that cow over that's in the way, to get that out of the way, the resolve is the right reflection. The resolve for you and I is the right reflection. So who or what do we reflect? Where do we go? We go to Jesus. Who we reflect is Jesus. And Paul says this to the Colossians so beautifully in in verse 15 of chapter one of Colossians. He says, he, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. And so to reflect God means that the example set in place, the perfect mediator is Jesus. But here's the issue. The issue is that we have all these different reflections, all these other definitions. And so we have people identifying with Christ, 
but really following the world. And this is, guys, where we get really into a dangerous type of Christianity, where we begin to define it for ourselves, where we say, I'm, I'm a Christian because I go to church. I'm there every week. I'm, I'm on a set-up, tear-down team. That's what defines me as a Christian. Others would say, because I'm a good person. doesn't matter really what I do. I follow you know, this part of the Bible, this part of the Bible. What it really comes down to me being a good person. Others would say it's because of a list of things that they follow, a list of rules or a list of laws, right? Things I do or that I don't do. But here's the truth, is that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a bank makes you an account holder. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a bank makes you an account holder. And so we we actually have to hold an account. We actually have to hold an account and reflect the image of Christ. And let me tell you this, it's not going to be perfect. I mean, we're a bunch of broken, messed up people. And so what we know of that is that broken people and hurt people can also hurt people. I I think that's a thing for us to believe. I don't think that's a thing for us to take on. And so it's really important that we understand we are to reflect the image of Christ because the image of God is perfectly reflected in Jesus because no one is more perfect of a worshiper than Jesus. No one is more perfect of a worshiper than Jesus. And so God cannot be seen any more clearly than in Jesus And that's why we don't look to created things, why we don't look to nature, why we don't look to animals or to other people. We don't look to stuff. We look to Jesus because our perfect God loves us so much that he gave us Jesus, the perfect reflection of who God is. So as we talked last week about John 3.16, that God didn't love us in a way of just, he kind of loved us, but that word so in John 3.16 is critical. That God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to be the perfect reflection. And so for you and I to be image bearers of Christ, as we go out from here, more than anything else, no matter what your questions about the Bible are, no matter what your struggles are, no matter what you think the Christian life is supposed to look like, for you and I, it means that we reflect Jesus. More than anything else, it's that we reflect Jesus. So then we get, we get real with God, we get to know Jesus, we learn who Jesus is so that we may effectively reflect Jesus. Let's pray.